Good morning. Last week, we talked about how the birth of Jesus, just the very birth of Jesus, answered thousands of questions that that the nation of Israel had been asking and and chapters and chapters and books and books of what the Old Testament had been asking. And and Israel, through the law and Israel, through their history and the prophets, would come together and they, they would question, how are we God's people and how is God our God? And there were problems over and over again. Israel would go into slavery in Egypt, and then God would send them a deliverer and bring them out. God would give them the law, and before they even received the law, they were already violating and breaking even the first commands, worshiping a golden calf at the foot of the mountain where the law was being given. The anger that erupted from that results in God telling Moses, listen, I'm just going to start over with you and not take these people with me because I'm too angry with them. And Moses convinces God to relent and to not take out his full wrath on this people and his full righteous judgment on these people. God says, listen, Moses, you're going to have to go to the promised land. I will still fulfill all of my promises in you and to these people, but you're going to have to go without me because if I go with you, I'm going to get so mad at these sin-filled, idolatrous people, I'll kill them. Moses says, God, if you're not with us, then we're not your people. We can't go without you. So God agrees to go with them, and in order to help that to happen, he gives Israel the tabernacle where he will exist in the Holy of Holies, separated by a curtain and with sacrifices being offered and reminding the people that God is not ordinary, that he is incredible and that he is awesome and that he is powerful and that he is just, and that for the people to exist in his presence would require a certain amount of work for them and love and grace and compassion from him. And it was tough. All through the Old Testament, Israel goes into uh, slavery and then back to redemption. They go off into exile and then they come back. But when they come back, the temple does not have God dwelling in it as he once did. And the question that exists in every faithful Israelite person's mind, every Judean, every Jew is asking the question, if we are God's people, can he even live with us? Can we even exist in God's presence with all of the problems and all of the sin and all of the idolatry that that we just keep struggling with, all of our immorality? How can we live in God's presence? And then one day an angel came to Joseph and said, Joseph, your wife, who is yet, or you're engaged, you're betrothed, he's not his wife yet, but you're betrothed, who uh, is still a virgin, is with child and you're not to divorce her you are to remain faithful to her and this boy who will be born to her will be the son of God and he will be called Emmanuel Emmanuel is translated God with us God with us and this is the story of the incarnation the story of the birth of Jesus is this that all of the questions about can God live with us and can we exist in God's presence are answered when God came down in the form of a little baby born in a manger, worshipped by shepherds, gifted uh, by the wise men from the east. All of this comes together and we see it as this cute little nativity scene. But what heaven sees is happening is that the questions of the centuries and of the millennia are answered in the birth of this child This Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us. God is with us. And and we know how the story of the Gospels go. 
We know that, that from his birth that he then goes throughout his ministry and he moves constantly towards his death, his death on the cross. We know how the story ends, that it doesn't end in the grave, but that Jesus gets out of the grave, that the tomb was empty, and on the third day, Jesus is resurrected and that he lives. And we know that after a time of appearing to over 500 of his followers, that he then ascends to sit at the right hand of God, preparing a place for us until it's time for him to return to us or us to go to him. That's the gospel. It's the good news. Is that because God was with us, we can now go to be with God eternally. And we think about all of the stories that happen in between the birth and the crucifixion. We think about what it would be like to have been one of those fortunate, blessed followers who was with, the, who was with Jesus the night that he walked on water. Can you imagine what it would have been like to be in the boat, watching Jesus as he's about to walk by, wondering if it's a ghost? To see a man walking on water. We think about how lucky they were to have been there when Jesus broke the bread and, and broke the fish and then broke the bread and broke the fish and broke the bread and the bread and the bread and the bread and the bread, and the bread until thousands were fed. And there was enough left over that what was brought back was more than what was sent out because that is the abundance that Jesus offers. Can you imagine what it was like to have been there when Jesus weeping with Mary and Martha who were just devastated that their, their brother's been dead for several days and Jesus says, Lazarus, come out. Lazarus, who was dead, gets out and walks out of the tomb because this is the power of the Son of God, Emmanuel, God with us. Son of God, Lord of Lords, King of Kings, and they got to see him live and in person, firsthand doing all of those things. Can you imagine what it was like to have been Mary and Peter and James and John, to be Martha, to be firsthand witnesses of the many things that Jesus did? At the end of John's Gospel, he writes that, uh, that there's not a library that could hold all of the stories that tell of the things that this man Jesus did while he was living on this earth. There's, there's no way the stories could all be told. But can you imagine what it was like to have been there while he was doing them and teaching them and healing them, loving people in a way that was completely surprising and often scandalous and turning the whole world upside down day after day after day to have been there but by the time we get towards the end of John's gospel, Jesus starts telling them that a day is coming and will soon come that he's going to go away. And this has to be terrifying for the followers of Jesus that have seen him do all of these things, heal the sick, teach them all the things that they've always wanted to know, change how they view the kingdom of God and when it's coming and what it's going to look like when it gets here. He, he's just changing their lives. They've left everything to follow him. And, and then he starts telling them, I'm going to leave you now. And if you're these followers, these disciples, these apostles, you would have started to panic. Jesus, don't, you can't leave. I'll follow you anywhere. Don't go. Why would, you, why would you go to a place where we couldn't be? We've left everything to be your followers. He starts to explain why, why it's not bad news, that it is, in fact, good news. To tell them that, that what is coming is better than what they've received. 
And this is a hard thing to believe because if you've lived your whole life being a fisherman, if you've lived your whole life being a zealot or a tax collector, and you just thought this is what life is all about, and then you got to spend three years with Jesus, the Messiah, Son of God, and he said, now I'm leaving you. You'd be devastated. And they were. They said, this can't be what, what the plan is. This can't be what's going to happen. We don't want to go back to our lives before you or without you. We want Emmanuel. We want God with us. So Jesus starts to try and comfort them and explain all this to them. This is in John chapter 14. John chapter 14, Jesus is trying to comfort his disciples as they worry about his departure. And he says, do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I am going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. He says, yes, I'm leaving you, but it's not forever we're going to be reunited. We're going to be brought back together. I will prepare a place and bring you back to where I am going and where I will be and for us today where Jesus is now. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you are going, so how can we know the way? And Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. And Philip said, Lord, show us the father. That will be enough for us. Which is what Moses asked God some thousands of years before when Moses said, if you won't go with us, we can't be your people. Just let me see your glory. God says, you can't see my face and live, but I'll put you in the cleft of the rock and place my hand over you and I'll pass by and you can see my backside and that part of my glory you can handle. And Jesus says to these followers, you've seen God. You've seen the Father. And, and what he's telling them is, if you know me, then you know God. And if you've seen me, then you've seen God. And if you, you've come to be in my presence, you've been in the presence of God, the Father. And Philip says, wait, can we see the Father? <laughs> He's not quite catching up. Can we see the Father? That would be enough. If you could just let us see the Father, maybe like Moses saw the Father just in the cleft of the... Jesus answered, don't you know me, Philip? Even after I've been among you such a long time, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I'm in the Father and the Father is in me? The words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Or at least believe on the evidence of the work themselves. 
Three different times, Jesus says, I'm in the Father and the Father's in me. I'm in the Father and the Father's in me. This idea that the God, the Father, is dwelling in the flesh of this man, Jesus of Nazareth, who's been walking among them. He says, if you've seen me, you've seen God himself in me. And if, if, and if you want to know, yeah, but, but how do we know that we can have confidence in this? How do we know that it's true? How do we know, can you, how do we, by whose authority? And he says, haven't you seen all the things I've done? If you don't believe just based on the words I'm saying, believe it on the evidence of what you have seen in me, that you have seen God himself in me. And in verse 12, he continues, very truly I tell you, Whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing and they will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. And I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. The apostles have to just be blown away by this. And if you're not blown away by it, you're not paying attention. Walked on water, calmed the storm, raised the dead, healed the sick, the blind see, the lame walk, and Jesus says, I'm leaving so you can do greater things. I'm leaving. God with you, Emmanuel, is going away from you because something better is coming that is going to do even greater things than you've seen. And this has to almost be terrifying to the apostles. What is greater than having control over uh, the wind and the waves and the water and life and death itself over sickness and demons and all the spiritual forces of the world? What, what is greater than that? And he says, those who believe in me are greater than that and will do greater things than that. If you love me, keep my commands, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. Amen. The Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. On that day, you will realize that I am in the Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. The one who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love them and show myself to them. Jesus says, I've got to leave because there's better things ahead. And when I leave, you're going to be saddened and you're going to feel uh, grief and you're going to wish that I was still with you. But I have to tell you that I'm leaving for a reason. I'm leaving for a purpose because I'm going to send another one, an advocate who will come and be in you. Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us. But the advocate that's coming, the Holy Spirit, the spirit of truth is coming to not be with us but to be within us, to be in us, so that 
through the dwelling of the Spirit within those who believe in Jesus and are followers of Jesus, that the kingdom will do even greater things than these followers of Jesus have seen Him do. I've got to leave because there's better things coming. And he keeps talking, he keeps teaching, and he, and he comes back to the advocate a little bit later uh, in John. Move over to, to John 16. He says, all this I have told you so that you will not fall away. They will put you out of the synagogue. In fact, the time is coming when anyone who kills you will think they are offering a service to God. They will do such things because they have not known the Father or me. I told you this so that when the time comes, you will remember that I warned you about them. I did not tell you this from the beginning because I was with you. But now I am going to him who sent me. None of you ask me where are you going. Rather, you are filled with grief because I've said these things. But very truly, I tell you, it is for your good that I am going away. Unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. You see, I think this is a teaching that we struggle to grasp. And the reason I think that is if I had asked you uh, earlier before this reading these texts, would our world be a better place today if Jesus Christ was still here? I think most of us would say yes. And admittedly, it's a little bit of a trick question. Saying no would have made you sound pretty bad too. Would our world be a better place if Jesus was still here walking among us, teaching us and leading us, healing the sick, bringing the lame back from the dead, feeding the masses, the poor and hungry crowds? Would we be better off? And we would say yes. And the reason we would say yes is because we have a poor understanding of the power of the Holy Spirit. We are still doing what the apostles were doing on that day and grieving that Jesus left. And what we're failing to do is what they would begin to do in the book of Acts, which is learn to celebrate that because he left, that God is no longer with us, but God is within us. And by the power of the Spirit dwelling inside of those who believe in Jesus, we are now able to do even greater things than when Jesus was here. So that when asked, would the world be a better place today if Jesus were still here, our answer should be, not if it means we lose the Spirit. Not if it means that the kingdom of God no longer has the spirit of God dwelling within us, moving us to do greater things in the world, transforming not only ourselves and our church and our communities, but the entire world to be made more into the creation that God intended it to be by the power of the spirit living in us. No, if it means losing that, we won't, we'll stick to God's plan that Jesus go be with God and prepare a place for us and that Jesus continue to have his will, his work, his hands and feet and words doing and speaking what he would be doing and speaking in this world through me and through you, and through us, that together we become the body of Christ for a world that wishes he was still here and we can tell them it's good that he's not here because his spirit is in us and we've got good news for you.
That spirit can be in you too. That spirit can live in you too. Because God within us is better than God with us. Now we only get God within us because God was with us in Jesus, right? This isn't me saying that Jesus is less of a big deal than you think he is. Jesus is more of a big deal. And because he had a plan and he stuck to it, he sent the Spirit when he left so that we are not left as orphans alone here without him. But he still dwells here with us because he is in fact within us. And it's good news. And it's good news. And so Peter, when he's writing his letter to the churches, Peter writes and he's, he's beginning to catch this vision and he's beginning to teach the church and he's telling them about what it means that God's Spirit is living in us and doing things through us and changing the world by the power of God within us. So in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 4 through 10 is what we're going to be reading. 1 Peter chapter 2, he writes, As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in Scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now to you who believe, this stone is precious. But to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. And a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that, causes, that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. But you, you are a chosen people a royal priesthood, a holy nation. God's special possession that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Peter writes and he says, you remember the old days when we needed God's presence dwelling in the temple and we cried out to God and we said, God, your presence is gone from the temple. When will it return? And Peter says, oh, the presence is back in the temple. You're the temple. We are the temple, Peter writes. Don't you understand that we are the living stones no longer stacked on a hill in Jerusalem where God's glory was revealed for centuries now the temple is being built in living stones. And that temple as it's built up by these living stones still has the presence of God living in it. So if you go to Jerusalem and look in the temple today hoping to find the Spirit of God, it's only going to be there if it shows up in you. Because the church and those who believe in Jesus has become the new temple that's being built up to hold God's presence in the world. People used to travel for, for weeks and months to get to Jerusalem to be close to the presence of God. And they asked the question, will there ever come a time when God can safely live in us and among us? Jesus was born, Emmanuel, God with us. He left and sent the Spirit, God within us. And Peter says, that makes us 
the new temple. And not just are we the new temple, we become this, this new royal priesthood. The priesthood that used to care to the temple, and it was their job to bring the world into God's presence and to mediate God's presence into the world. And Peter says that's going to be the job of those who hold the Spirit of God within them from now on. So church, here's the thing. If God's presence is in you, working through you, what's happening is that, that God's desire is that you bring God into the world through your actions, words, deeds, behavior, all the things that you do. That you're bringing God's presence into the world and that the world can come into God's presence by interacting with you. He says you're to be a holy nation, a chosen people. Israel for for thousands of years at this point, had been the people that wandered in the wilderness with God, that sought and wrestled with God to be his people and to express to the world, to become a blessing to all nations, as was promised that they would be. And Peter says, now that's going to happen through the seed that was Jesus that now makes this available to all of those who believe in him. You're the new chosen people, the holy nation. You're the people of God living in the world that they can look to and say, that's what God's people look like. And the good news, if we live it out correctly, should be good news to the people who see us and hear us. Paul writes about a similar idea in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, starting in verse 12, Paul's writing to the church in Corinth, and he says this, Just as a body, though one, has many parts but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit so as to form one body. Whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, we were all given the one spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. Now the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body. It would not for that reason stop being part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts of the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, what, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts but one body. Don't you think Paul had to laugh a little bit while he was writing this section? The visuals of what he's describing are completely absurd. And, and this is really important because we still fail to believe everything that Paul wrote here because we kind of just skip over the metaphor. Um, if you have a church full of preachers, uh, no one will ever quit talking. It's a problem. If you have a church full of, of servants and deacons, everyone is serving, but where is the, the vision? Where is the administration? Where is the leadership? If you have a church full of people who always want to pray, where is the action? If you only have people that are interested in serving the poor, where is the prayer? Where is the commitment to the word and to truth? The body needs to be made up of all the different parts. And Paul says, do you want to know how ridiculous it would look if the church was made up of only one part? Picture a body covered in eyeballs. And go ahead, 
let your imagination run wild for a minute. It's almost as weird as a church, or a body made up all of thumbs. Imagine a body made up of only thumbs. It has to be the weirdest part of the body. I'm glad we only have two. There's a myth that exists in the world today that I don't need the church to be a Christian, that I can do it on my own, that, that, that I can just, as long as I've got faith between me and Jesus, that's all I need. And, and you can do that as long as you don't read this chapter. If you read this chapter, what you realize is that is foolishness. And Paul's writing to make you feel like a fool when he writes this. He says, if you think you can be a Christian without a church, go outside and find a hand laying on your front porch and just go, neat. What a fun looking hand. But if there's one thing that we learn from the Adams family, it's a hand that's not attached to the rest of the body is really creepy and weird and not right. Right? It's not right. And yet we have Christians all over the world today kind of going, yeah, that, that's kind of my faith life. I'm thing or it. What was the thing called? What's the hand? I don't know. It's gross. And that's just a hand. I mean, you ever, if you were ever walking down the hallway and you just saw an ear, you wouldn't be like, oh, neat. You would, it's disgusting. It's awful. It's horrible. I'm walking around my house. If I see a loose fingernail that's no longer attached to a body, I start to have fits. It, I can't handle this. That's the foolishness of Christians who think they can do faith without the body. God put us together for a reason because when we come together, he gives us all of these different gifts. And so Paul says, if you realize the foolishness of thinking that all people are equal and same, then you're an, you're an idiot. And if you think that you can be a Christian apart from the body, you're gross and disgusting. That's it. That's Paul. And then he continues and says, here's how it's supposed to be. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. And the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty. While our presentable parts need no special treatment, but God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it, so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Now you are the body of Christ. Each one of you is a part of it. And God has placed in the church, first of all, apostles, second, prophets, third, teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, of helping, of guidance, and of different kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all have gifts of healing? Do all speak in tongues? Do all interpret? Now eagerly, desire the greater gifts. And yet I will show you the most excellent way. And in 1 Corinthians 13, Paul goes on to talk at length about love, 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 love. We are the body of Christ. And God has given you a gift to be part of this body doing Jesus' work in the world that we live in today. 
Because Jesus was God with us, he now is God within us, and he forms us into the temple, the place where people come to experience the presence of God. We're the priesthood that brings the world to God and God to the world. We become the place that is the holy nation set aside to be God's people in a world that wonders what that would look like. We are uh, the body of Jesus Christ, each of us given different spiritual gifts to lift up the body and strengthen the body, encourage the body, but also to do everything that Jesus needs done in the world. And we can do it with confidence and without fear because Jesus promised the disciples that when he leaves, he's going to send one that will allow us to do greater things than they saw him do. And John said there weren't enough books in the libraries of all the worlds to write about those stories. That's our calling. And so this Christmas, when everyone is is wanting to talk about how great it is that a baby was born in a manger, that is completely true. It is unbelievable that God lived with us. But don't forget that when Jesus went with the Father to prepare a place for us, he did not leave us as orphans. He sent the advocate, the spirit of truth, the Holy Spirit, to be God with us in us God with us sent the spirit to be God in us and because he did that we now have the ability and the responsibility to be Jesus to a world that says do you think what do you think it would be like if Jesus were still here and our answer is let me show you because every Sunday morning I spend my morning and I eat the body and I drink the blood remind myself that I am the body of Jesus Christ living out who he is, who he was, who he will be forever in my church. You want to come learn more about it? You want to learn more about it? Because church, I've got to ask, is God in you? Because if God is not in you, what are you waiting for? Is the Holy Spirit giving you the gifts to to be who the body needs you to be, living out Jesus in the world that you need to be living it out in? Have you been given gifts that you're receiving, or are you resisting the gifts that the Spirit has given you to be the body of Jesus in the world that needs so badly to see more Jesus through the body of Christ? Is the world blessed by God's presence living in you? Because if it's not, what are you waiting for? Are you ready to accept the gift of God with us and receive the gift of God in you so that you can spend eternity with God in this life and the one to come? If you've never opened that gift, I don't know what you're waiting for. Open it today promise it's the best gift you'll get all year if there's any part of the gift you're refusing to open I invite you to open the gift open it this morning as we stand and sing